0: I will be where I want to be with acting, and I'll get into that later. And the only way it won't happen is if I quit or I die. And I'm not dying double digits, right? Hundred and beyond, right? <laughs> and that. uh, and uh, and I'm definitely not gonna quit. So it's gonna happen. You know, it's about being unavailable for any other option, but it's about having the belief, I think, and protecting it so much that you don't let anybody come in. And then this comes on to the big vision, which is powerful pictures, and this is what, like keeps me up at night and is what fuels me and this powerful pictures being this production company that only makes true story films. That is it. Just true story movies, right? And uh, and when I think about that, like my heart is pounding on my chest and I'm like you know what, I don't care if I have to wait another 10 years for that to happen, but it's gonna happen. When you say Perry you can't do that, my dad's face appears in my mind and I'm like I'm wait. like fuck you dad, right? Yeah. yeah fuck you, I am gonna do it. When it came to abuse, it was from my step granddad. That's my nan's husband. So that would be my dad's stepdad. And I actually said the words that I used to enjoy it. And obviously now those have been tattooed in my brain. As a man, I enjoyed being sexually abused. So that obviously sparked depression. You know, half of my family are alcoholics, drug takers or whatever. Lovely people, right? Um, But they've got their own traumas. And uh, and that's their coping mechanism. Uh, And I'm like, I could have just as
1: easily gone down that road.
0: Can you move? Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Be unavailable. My business partner said this once. He goes, "I am unavailable for any other option."
1: If you could, if you could speak to your step granddad now, today, what would you say
0: to him? So, if my dad, if my step granddad was alive now, I'd ask him.
1: I'm on a mission to help the world to see success differently. For sharing the stories of our guests, I hope to inspire those that listen. This is the Different Hats podcast, produced by H2 Productions. I hope you can join us on this journey. Okay, I'm just going to say something about one of our sponsors, Val. The world of cars, vans and minibuses is often a pain point for many of us. The hassle of finding the right vehicle, let alone looking after it, are all more things to add to our lists as busy people. Rivervale's mission is to make motoring manageable, and that's why they provide leasing, purchasing, servicing and vehicle management. So whether you have one family car or a fleet of vans for your business, Rivervale are your trusted vehicle supplier. Visit www. Riverval.co.uk. Okay, let's jump back to the podcast. Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today for this special episode once again by my wonderful co host, the lovely Joe Baldwin. Joke, would you like to uh, maybe introduce our special guest today?
2: I would love to. Thank you, Sam. Great to be back again awesome. and uh, share this space with you. Thank Amazing. you for asking me. must have been okay last time. It was, um, awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Okay, today I am really thrilled to introduce Perry Power. Ranking over 60 million video views and 260,000 followers on social media, um, our guest today raises awareness of intrafamiliar child sexual abuse and inspires survivors to break their silence he's an actor charity co-founder writer speaker and coach with a passion for telling stories that need to be told we're wi- are delighted to welcome today perry power to the podcast perry how are you
0: i'm fantastic oven and sweating <laughs> it's hot <laughs> but i no, i love it mate uh, I, I appreciate you having me on and uh, give me the platform to share my story. Amazing, so. yeah,
1: mate. Look, look, we sort of spoke briefly offline before, and I think um I speak for anyone that was at the acumen Business Convention, and as I was, uh, was pretty much blown away by by your talk. um And I, I I reached out to you straight away, and you know, really grateful that you you responded and at the time to sort of come down because I was really keen to get you on the podcast. One for me, one of the things with the podcast is about, you know. Sharing people's stories and, and their life stories and what we can learn from them and you have got such a powerful story to share um, and really really grateful for your time so thank you mate it's going to be um, it's going to be great now look we're we're going to jump sort of straight in I, I've I sort of mentioned on a couple of episodes with with this podcast this series especially we're trying to do something slightly different and a little bit um, thing with our our life in 60 seconds so we're going to kick things off straight away if we can um, just want to tell us a little bit about something from your childhood. That, Help to shape who you are today. But we're gonna go sixty seconds on the on the button and then we're delving. Oh, we're yeah, delving time into, it. We're gonna delve we're gonna delve a little bit up <laughs> into it after anyway. So All right. yeah, go through it, mate.
0: So it's gonna be one of my earliest memories, and I was sitting on a floor in the living room of my flat in Chiswick in West London, and I'm watching at the time didn't know it was a TV. It was just a it was just a box, right? And I remember watching it and i see two people on it and i remember in my head didn't know what acting was didn't know what films was didn't know what tv was but in my head i was like i want to be on that right and mm-hmm. i always remember that it's so strange right? i remember just being like, i don't know what i want to be on that and then that developed then into being yes an actor but more so being a visionary and holding on to that no matter what and being resilient and not letting go of the vision that you had as a child you know many people would lose that connection but it's holding on to that and that taught me as an adult today to still hold on to the visions that you had as a child as an adult. love
1: that. And bang on the 60 seconds. Look at, Look that. at, Look that. at that. Six mate. seconds to spare. That is awesome. Natural TV. <yeah. laughs> <we go>. that's, <laughs> that's it. it. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not his, it's not his first rodeo. No, one minute, one done. Hopefully not. That's fascinating for me actually. Because so from that young age having that... because. I I talk about that this a lot actually it's really fascinating I talk about this quite a lot about people who from a young age have a dream and an ambition and and how many people actually get to uh, later in life and lose that vision or lose that dream or then don't know what they want to do or that dream doesn't come a reality and then they lose lose don't know what they want to mm. do and feel a little bit lost whereas to have that vision from such a young age and follow that through and doing this sort of stuff I guess yeah. you know that's, in, that's incredible from people listening as well like as a business people or whatever whatever that is entrepreneurs having that dream and just holding on to that and that vision is, is such a key thing
0: yeah I think most people I think growing up most people there's always anomalies but that most people always had a vision or a dream when I was a kid mm. whether it's to be a fireman or to be a pilot or more so in the world which is now more so me in a world where it's like okay, 99% of the population can't relate to being famous. They can't relate to being an actor. Okay, well, the only way you could be an actor is to be famous, mm. right? So yes, it's nice to dream about it when you're a kid, but when you become an adult and it's reality, listen, you're not going to be famous. No one can relate to that pocket of the world, mm. right? So, so because you can't relate to it, there's so much of a gap where then when you've got the parents of friends and society being like, oh yeah, but we can't relate to that. So just, what's the point in putting all your eggs in one basket to make that happen? Cause it's obviously not going to happen. Always more people would be famous, right? Yeah. Or be an actor, be the singer, right? Be the, the athlete, whatever it is. And then they, over time start to just fall into that same trend of thinking. And then I think some people live vicariously through their kids and make their kids try and do it. Right. Absolutely. Or yeah. they, um, sell themselves a story and say hey you know what I shouldn't do it because you know it's very common for um, actors who then get a corporate career mm. acting just you know just didn't just didn't work out for me well, that's not necessarily the case you just let go of that mm. you know it would work out mm. like I've always said I will be where I want to be with acting and I'll get into that later and the only way it won't happen is if I quit or I die and I'm not dying double digits right hundred and beyond right <laughs> and uh way. and uh, and I'm definitely not going to quit. So it's going to happen. You know, it's about being unavailable for any other option. But it is about having a belief, I think, and yeah. protecting it so much that you don't let anybody come in.
2: Yeah. There is a belief that, um, and I, I believe it, is that we all proclaimed what we really wanted to be in life as a child. Because obviously when we're born as children, we have that innocence. Hmm. And we have that belief that we can achieve anything. And it's only life and training and conditioning from parents, p- peer, key figures, that trains that out of us but we've all got that mo- that peri moment as i'm going to call it now mm-hmm. um but we've all got that in us um when we had that moment we said i want to do that with absolute conviction from the heart mm-hmm. um and it's just wonderful that you have shared that because i don't I don't think that's come up too much no. on your podcast i've listened to most of these.
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 no, fantastic
2: but it's a really powerful point and it's, t- it's definitely something i it question people a lot with um when it comes to purpose and what they can do that's got a deeper meaning yeah. for them, because your your inner you that was always there from day one has always known.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: and you've you've just gone gone right. That is it. But I love what you just said about the fact that you recognised it and you have said, "I'm not I'm not dying. And I'm not quitting." Yeah. <laughs> it's harsh, but it's true, isn't yeah. it? It's like you know, and that that's really powerful. Really
1: but is that that? And you alluded to it a little bit earlier, saying about resilience, like you've business, sport acting theater, whatever whatever it is whatever path we decide to take you've got resilience has got a nice for me has probably been the biggest word that come out of the last few years with covid right with people and yeah. um, we've got to show resilience as, as hu- a human race as uh, especially within the business world that you've got to have that thick skin you've got to have resilience you've got to bounce back but i can imagine especially in the acting world because there's a lot of knockbacks right a lot of auditions and Whatever path you're going on, that constant, constant thing until you get that one break. My my, my uncle, who you know, he's one of my best mates, 60 odd, but he'd been an actor for 30 years, never famous and big in that sense, but made a career out of it through advertisements, a few TV shows, he had film and stuff like that. But and I still, for me, I still look at that as amazing success. Like he's an idol to me. I love him yeah. because he was the guy that had that dream, similar to you as a young kid. Our family was. We were Greek Cypriot barbers, and he could have easily gone down that route, and yet he chose to follow this path. And like I said, he he made a living out of it for thirty years, and that for me is success following your passion and doing something you love. Absolutely, and good for him as well. Good for him.
0: Uh, I'm having a lot of conversations at the moment about intuition. Right, I'm blocking out all of the leaders out there blocking out all the podcasts, blocking out temporarily if somebody doesn't feel like they are they have an intuition and I don't know what their own voice is because it's filled with Grant Cardone, it's filled with Tony Robbins, right? But sometimes those voices sound like your own, so you're like, well, you know, you don't know what to do rather than trusting your own gut. And, and that, coming back to acting, is that growing up, you know, I went to acting school and all, all that sort of jazz and I was looking at how... What the norm is to make it as an actor. Like, okay, well that's the only part, So I'm gonna follow that. What is it? Get an agent. Okay, cool. Then the agent puts you up for everything going. All right, fine. You know I'll do. I'll, you know I'll go to this audition and dance in a room for a Kit Kat advert. I'm like I couldn't, couldn't care less about bloody Kit Kat advert, <laughs> right? But why am I doing it? Because I need to get. Because I have to do this. Get my face on the screen for someone to then spot that for them, me to get a film that I don't know. But then maybe up here, right? And then I did that for so many years where I'm like, it got to a point where I'm like, I'm done, right, I'm just done, and back to the intuition, how can I make it as an actor where it's how Perry wants to do it, and then that's, and I, I remember it, hardest decision, and it's been the hardest time of entrepreneurship, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it as an actor by, instead of going down this path, I'm going to knock through this wall, have no idea where I'm going, but I'm just going to follow the intuition, just trust that I'm going to end up where I need to be, right, rather than Got rid of my agent, right? Don't have an agent. That's an agent, right? And I stopped doing all of the things that I want that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and then this c- comes onto the big vision, which is powerful pictures. And this is what like keeps me up at night and is what fuels me. And this powerful pictures being this production company that only makes true story films. That is it, just yeah. true story movies, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and when I think about that, like my heart's pounding at my chest, and I'm like, you know what? I don't care if I have to wait another ten years for that to happen, but it's gonna happen. Right. And then I'm kind of jumping ahead of here, but I'm getting a bit passionate. Powerful pictures. Good. Right. And then when I thought about that, I was like, OK, how can I make that happen? How can I reverse engineer that? And then that's what caused me to create the, the, uh, the publishing company, Powerful Books. Mm. Because if I help trauma survivors to turn their story into a book, that's going to be a true story. Mm. And then what happens? Mm. Right. And now each book I can turn into a film. And now there is no production, they're ma- they're, as far as I'm aware, and I'd love it for someone to bring me one, I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, that's fantastic. But when we talk about the big boys, there's no publishing com- um, production company out there that's doing that. Mm. Right? They get pictures of scripts onto a piece of uh, onto their desk, okay, yeah, that sounds great, no, that's not good. Let's, you know. But with us, we don't need any unsolicited pictures, we don't need anything. Why? Because we're generating our own stream of true life stories that deserve to be told right and uh and now i'm like little perry in the char perry just wait on a little bit longer because you're going to be able to do exactly what you want to do but it's about it's the long game which not many people are able to put up with mm. they want to be they want it to be doing it tomorrow which is why they do all those little acting things and take out acting and replace it with whatever is more relevant uh but i'm like just if you just give it 10 to 20 years <laughs> right mm. give it 10 20 years you'll be exactly where you need to be
1: that's such a, there's a couple of things there I want to take out. One, the level of self-awareness, I guess, from someone, because how old are you now? What are you t- 28. For for someone of that age to have that level of self-awareness, I'm, I'm 44, I don't know, <laughs> even if I'm at that level, you know what I mean? So I'm just thinking that that level of self-awareness to be able to have that, and especially in a society, actually, what you allude to there, especially in a society where we live, where you can have anything tomorrow yeah yeah Amazon go on bang I want that mm. get it Get it comes to the next day there's no it, it we live in that fast-paced world where delayed gratification is not there it's not anything I'm it, um, it's something i try and teach my kids about but delayed grat like actually holding on for something sticking to something that you really believe in and you love and that you really want to achieve and you want to get to but it's as a and seeing that far away and knowing I'm gonna get there but there's a long journey to get there but just holding on to that's such a, yeah. a, such a brilliant message. I think for, for any whatever one, whatever business you're in, whatever you're trying to do in life, right? Just trying to keep hold of that.
2: The other thing that jumps out of your that ex, um, explanation of what your life so far is that you were told that it has to happen that way, and you opted for another way. You chose your own way and chose to define it. I think this happens a lot with business, with culture, society. Mm-hmm. We get so well, if you want to do that, you've got to do this. You've got to follow these steps. Um, and, well, we both know a, a young actor. Yeah. Um, yeah who's trying yeah. to make it, and he's exactly the same as you. Something has landed with him, and it, you, I'm sure you helped when you had a chat with him. But he has decided that he's doing it his own way, and that is it. He's not going to do kick adverts either. <laughs> but that we can apply that to life, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of life that we get told, well, if you want to get that, you've got to do X, Y, Z. Um, and, and or there's a time frame. Or oh, if it hasn't happened by now, one of my visions is to part live in California and have a business out there mentoring and speaking. But I get told quite a lot because it hasn't happened yet. And I've been saying that for 15 years. <laughs> a little while, but it's OK. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. Or, oh, haven't you given up on that dream? Man, people say that. Oh, well, I'm sure you just forget it by now. Like how am I going to forget it? Um, it just might not happen the obvious way or the way that that generally you'd say that would happen. Um, I think that's a really powerful. Message. I'll be
1: keen to sit Like, do, do do you have that just from external people, but also having a voice sometimes? Do you have that self doubt? Does that ever come into your mind to go, oh, actually, do do I go on another part? Or are you just one hundred percent? I've got this vision and nothing is gonna stop me from getting to that
0: um, for for acting I've never had a doubt other things in life I've, I've had some doubts you know but uh, when it comes to acting yeah I've never had a doubt ever mm-hmm. I, I grew up with a with a father and con- lovely man controlling in many ways uh, but he didn't approve of the acting path wow. because it wasn't because it wasn't you can't make a living from it again mm-hmm. that my dad didn't have a contact list of famous actors you know, his, mm. his lists were cleaners or working in, you know, business, but not business owners, but just employees. That was his contact list. Mm. So why is he going to believe that his son can be a, uh, an actor, right? So mm. he was doing the best that he thought he could by trying to see me down a path that where an income could, you know, is more secure. Mm. And I think I've, I very much, I got daddy issues, right? And I'm very much, a, if you say I can't do it, when you say Perry, you can't do that, my dad's face appears in my mind. And I'm like, Can you swear? I'm, yeah. I'm mate. like, fuck you, Dad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, fuck you. I am gonna do it. And uh and but for for me to hang out ten, twenty, thirty years to make something happen goes far beyond a fuck you, Dad. It goes yeah. it goes beyond a, you know, this is why I'm on this planet. Mm. You know, and I remember my uh I've got two cousins, they're brother and sister, and you got Greg and Becky. Greg uh directs films and he has for Donkey's years, right? And then becky was a producer uh, she doesn't do it anymore but i remember as a kid i don't know how old i was maybe 10 11 12 i wasn't older than that i remember my mum <clears throat> took me to have coffee with becky and at that point she was very much in the industry as a producer and uh i remember saying to her that i want to act and she said to me and i always remember this six hours she goes if there is an inkling of anything else that you also want to do with acting, don't act, because acting is the hardest profession you can ever break into. Mm. And if there's something else that you want to do, like I want to act, but like uh, yeah, I really also want to do this, like I don't know, be a be a policeman, right? Then just be the policeman. And uh, and I remember when she said that to me, and I didn't go away and think about it in that conversation. I was like, no, I don't care. Like I don't care how diffi- I don't believe because saying it's difficult is a reason maybe why you shouldn't do it. Mm. No, it's just more of a reason to find that little hole in the wall and just smash through that. Mm. You know and uh yeah so when it comes to that i've never had a doubt i can't put it i can't put it down to like a recipe or mm. this is what you should do mm. to it's just mm. in me you know i can't no other
2: do you think it's a physical feeling because I- and I don't know. I think that that, that feeling, I'm getting a sense, it's like your physical. It does take it's in over your my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a physical presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just a thought in your head, no, no, no. which can be whimsical and be like a cloud and just flit off somewhere. Yeah. It's like a feeling, isn't it?
0: It's a feeling. So when it, a, it's conviction. Abs- absolutely. I, I Two things here. I've always got a thing whenever I think about because um, I'm a massive visionary and I, and I could be so contempt just sitting there where people need a phone I can just sit there and close my eyes because my whole brain is movies whenever I need to think of something I go into a film and I see the scenes whether it's my future or something else and I always see a scene where I don't know what film it is but it's an A film where we've got a showing in a cinema and I've got a cap on right nobody knows it's me and I look around and every seat is full and I'm looking around and I know what they're about to watch, right? I'm about to cry because it gets me. Uh, <laughs> and I know what film they're about to watch and I know that they're going to be inspired and they're going to lead that cinema screen and hopefully it can impact them in some way. But I look around and I'm like, every single person has a different story from a different walk of life, they're different skin colour, different, different generation, different culture. But they've all been brought under one roof to watch a two-hour film, right? And that for me, I'm like, fuck, man. You know, like...
3: Wow. Getting it's just well, yeah.
0: you know, like I went to see Mission Impossible a couple of days ago, and I was sitting there like Mission Impossible, great film. I was like, I don't really care what film I'm watching. Yeah. The fact that I'm sitting here and I'm watching a story on the big screen, mm. it's just
1: yeah, there is something magical about movies that they again they take you, they play with your emotions. It's the same with any form of storytelling, I guess, and a, whether it be a book or film. like for me, there's something recently. Like I'm a massive. Charlie Maxi fan well, I've watched The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horses I don't know if you've seen it No, uh, no. Said a, it's a children's book that he bought out and he's he done an animated film um, from it come out at Christmas and he won the Oscar for it this year and it is... Unbelievable, like the powerful message within it is all about, you know, ab- about love really. And while we're here, and you know, I'll get a bit soppy, that's, that's who I am, I guess, and I wear my heart on my sleeve. But that I oh know it was just the mixture of emotions that that evoked in me from watching a children's film. And I was like, and I read the book to the, my kids most nights, and because it's such a powerful message in there. And I think what you're talking about, and what I think is fascinating as well, is that, that to create something where like you say, you bring people together and they will, they will evoke emotion. And that's what movies are able to do, aren't they? And stories are able to do. And that's, yeah. that's something so so special.
2: And there's a lot of true stories out there based on a true story. What does that mean? I mean, mm. does that mean, like, the five minutes at an hour in were mm. true? Um, and I think there's a lot of interpretation of true stories that, you know, certain broadcasting mm. companies get hold of. And then they, they kind of manipulate and you hear it quite often. Oh, that's mm. not quite what happened. Um, but the fact that you're going to re- be true to a story is really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to yours now? Yeah. yeah. Can I just start with though? Um, first of all, that obviously we are going to be uh, going to be talking quite in depth here, probably, about a very sensitive topic. Mm. Um, and as we recently, we'll, we'll go into it in a minute. But at Acumen recently, you, you gave a talk on your story about familial abuse. Um, and as I know, having published Being Fine Book and so many conversations that have come out of publishing a book, sharing really painful but powerful stories. Um, if anyone is listening to any of what they're about to hear or that, that they heard from Perry, obviously, at Acumen, and need support, then please reach out to someone. Um, reach out to the person you know you can trust and that can hold that space. Um, and obviously, if anyone is really, really... Um, I don't like the word triggered because no. it suggests a bit kind of like violent. But um, if anyone is sparked off by anything that they hear, that they please, please reach out. And either if you need to talk to the Samaritans 116123, myblackdog.co um, are an incredible online peer to peer support um, or your GP. So please, if mm. anything happens during this uh, or you're about to hear that you're impacted by on a deep level, um either reach out to any of those, or obviously thankfully Perry bless him has opened his heart to anyone who is also gonna break their silence mm.
1: Over Maybe. To you will make look. um like I say it would be be great to talk about um, for you to share your story and you know about the abuse received, obviously growing up and and what you sort of shared with us at ecumen and, and and that in your story um if you can just just talk to, talk us through that and. And, and what happened there
0: yeah yeah for sure so my uh so my biological mother she walked out when i was like four or five years old and i would see her maybe like once a year twice a year and as we went on we went to like once every six months and once a month a month and once every two weeks we've got a great relationship now she's a lovely lovely woman uh but yeah, so it started off with that. Really, that's kind of like where the trauma started—the abandonment, mummy issues, that type of thing. And then my stepmom came into the picture a couple of years later, a South African lady. And then they got married in SA, and I was the best man at their at their wedding, which is cool. And uh, but the the when it came to abuse, it was from my stepgranddad, right? So my nan's husband. So that would be my dad's stepdad, and. It, I don't exactly remember when it started, but I do know that it went on for at least a year or so. You know, it's quite a few different instances. And it came to a stop because there was this one situation where we was in the living room. I was on my step lap with a blanket over us. My stepmom was on the couch opposite. We were watching TV. And he used to always smoke, roll up cigarettes. And he would always, like, smell of fags and stuff and, and, uh, he had his arm over the, his hand over the arm of the, of the couch, and he dropped the cigarette onto the floor. My stepmom saw her out of the corner of her eye, and she doesn't take much notice. She carries on watching TV, and and then she then is like, "Well, why is he not picking up the cigarette? Because he's burning a hole in the carpet." And then she looks up, and she just sees a bit of movement, but that movement just triggered something in her to stand up, walk out, call me out. She then takes me home, and she tells my dad. My dad confronts me, where he was actually going to have a go at me. Right and and my son was like, well, why are you gonna have a go at him? He hasn't done anything wrong, and um, but my dad was a very very confrontational um, East London Cockney geezer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he did confront me, and that that situation there was traumatic for me, not because of the abuse, because of how my dad reacted to it. Towards mm-hmm. me, and he and he made he questioned me, asked me what had happened, and I told him about that incident. And uh, then he says, Right, you're not going to go to school, tell your friends, you're not going to tell your mum, your biological mother, you're not going to um, tell anyone, you're going to keep this at home between the four walls of this house. I said, Okay, and uh, but again, it wasn't traumatic, the sexual abuse wasn't traumatic. It, I was never penetrated or anything like that, it was more just sort of hand movements towards me, right? I never did anything to him, it was always him to me. But I just thought it was like a, you know, I just thought it was love. I didn't think anything of it. Mm. And obviously, the grooming came into that. You know, take me to the pub, let me drink his Guinness and stuff like that, right? Things I am not meant to do to position him as the cool guy or the family. Where my dad was the villain, he's the hero. Mm. And so that just all played into that. And but as we then go on, I'm about like eleven ish. But at that point, I then never went round to my nan's house again. And I grew up. Then I knew what sex was. I knew. Then I knew what sexual abuse was. Then I realised what had happened. And then, Dean, the a demon started to grow. Of you allowed that to happen, Perry. You know, you you did tell your mum and you went to her house, your biological mum. You did tell her. She, you know, she like nearly collapsed to the floor crying. And then I said to her, but to stop her crying, I said, but Mum, I enjoyed it. And I actually said the words that I used to enjoy it. And obviously now those have been tattooed in my brain as a man i enjoyed being sexually abused so that obviously sparked depression and and everything growing up well,
1: well. mate i mean thank you thanks again for for i guess for sharing that. Oh, a couple of things i'd like to go back that point i guess where you tell your dad and those are most you you talk about the trauma from telling your dad. Just keen to tap into that a little bit more, like how, how does that land with you? It, did you have a good relationship with your dad up to then? Was it, and then what was it like after that After that period?
0: I don't have, I don't have much memories of when I was a kid. Mm. I really don't. My memory is kind of like, there's more m- memories uh, as a teenager you know which i can get into between a relationship between me and my dad but before the abuse i don't have i have snippets kind of like my thing with i want to be on the tv mm-hmm. that type of thing and it's like a handful of them before then so i don't remember much but my dad um uh my dad was a very controlling man he he always used to tell me that he grew up where his mum and his stepdad were alcoholics they were massive alcoholics and and he would be at the house and he would cook the dinners. He would clean the house for them to come back. They didn't really show him loved in the way that he wanted to. Mm. And uh, they had no control over my dad, right? If he was to go away for a couple of weeks, I don't care. So my dad always said to me that he parented me in a way that he wished he was parented. But then how that came across to me was if I ever wanted to go out with a friend, i got to tell him who the name is, who's his parents, what's the numbers, uh, this is the time that I'm going out this is the time you come back If you're a minute late you're grounded and i spent more time in my bedroom and he his thing was he would uh off to your room and i can't have anything in the room other than pen and paper that's why i'm a good drawer right Mm -hmm. because that's all i did and uh and all i had was pen and paper and my dad was he would hold grudges and and if i had ever done something wrong i don't speak to my dad he would never speak to me even if i tried to say something he would ignore me and I wouldn't be able to come out my bedroom. If I went to go to the toilet, I have to ask permission, right? Can I leave my bedroom to go to the toilet? And uh, sometimes I remember, like, if I wanted to really, you know, let's say he's gone a couple of weeks and I haven't spoken to him. And it was crazy when you really think about it, right? Mm. And uh, I would have to write a letter. I wouldn't have to, but that's how I found it worked. I'd write a letter and then maybe I'll slide it um, or I'd leave it in the kitchen and then, you know, give it a couple of hours or later on that day, he's read it and then he says, you can come out your room now. Then we give each other a hug. And then I'll say I'm sorry, Dad. And he goes, "Okay." And then back to normality. And that was very much the punishment uh, teachings of m- my dad as a father.
3: I
2: can really see why the breaking the silence came out because obviously that's what you did, wasn't it? You, it sounds like you you lived a lot in silence with your dad, rather than being able to. And I, you know, I've heard your story of when you got um robbed in the park by the kids mm-hmm. you know and you you went back home and it was always about the actually the fact that you got you got kind of um disrespected rather than let's talk about how you felt um you know what what kind of what sort of what did that layers did that put on you do you think and obviously growing into your teens and then you know relationships i know you shared this in, in the book but what what is that what does that do um, when it, when you've got those layers of conditions and you know because it's all part of the picture I guess for you isn't it
0: yeah yeah of course I think that growing up it, it caused me to to see like if I was a, at the top of the paper I put man and then draw out what a man was it was someone who doesn't get disrespected it was someone who um, basically was my dad you know like when I got mugged my dad said to me, "You never let anybody treat like disrespect you like that again," and which is crazy because I was like, "Well, what should I say? No, even if he brought out a knife, which is Ooh. common in London, you know what I mean, you know?" And uh, and but I the I think that the good thing is because I could have easily turned into being a guy who bullied other kids at school, mm. right? Because in a way, I hate because I love my dad so much, and I hate to put him in a certain light. In a way, it was almost like. There was a bit of bullying in a way with to me and my dad. And so I could have become the bully at school. I could have beat up boys at school because then that would make me um, be the man that my dad wanted me to be. Mm. Now, there's always been thoughts in my head to, to play out that character in life. Luckily, and that's all I can put it to, that never ended. That never happened. Mm. I've never been in a physical punch up in my entire life. Mm. Right? Uh, I'm a lover and I always have been. But in my mind, I've beaten people up right, because that's my dad, you know, that's my dad, and then that's kind of there, but I'm like, Jesus, you know, it's like somebody punches me in the face and then I say sorry to them, you know, for my face being in the way, right, <laughs> right? And uh, so I've always had that part of me and I still put it back to that Perry, mm. you know, that Perry that somehow was like, you can penetrate me to a certain degree, I can put masks on to a certain degree, but I'm still gonna be so present where I know that I'm wearing the masks mm. to a degree, right? And I can't, I don't know what I can put it down to, but it's, you know, it caused me to like be at uni and drink a lot, but it never caused me to drink so much when I became an alcoholic. Hmm. You know, things like that, Hmm. for example, where I do it to a degree, but I don't go all the way because I, that child, that Perry is there that knows what the reality is. And that's, his dad was wrong, you know?
1: But again, for me, listening to that and thinking back to the level of, guess of self-awareness at such a young age Mm. to be able to recognize that how your dad was treating you to the degree or that that type of relationship wasn't right or wasn't necessarily what the the type of person that you wanted to be so you could have like you said how many people grow up in a certain environment and it's a cyclical thing right they see their parents are alcoholics and they follow that pattern whereas you've You've made a, cho- a choice that I don't want to be that person. That's not the person you're looking at your dad and thinking. You've obviously, like you said, you speak about. I've read it in the book and you spoke about it at the Acumen Convention and just now you mentioned how much you love your dad and, but, but you looked at him and thought that's not. I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be like that. I guess that comes. You look at, you go deeper and you look at his upbringing potentially and he that's learned behaviour from him maybe his. Stepdad or his father as well, and that sort of filters was down, yeah. and that's what he knows. And he thought, I need to be that person, yeah. so I've got to be this hard geezer type person. But you're the one that where that's that's stopped, where you've gone off, oh, and that takes again that inner strength, I guess, to go. I'm 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 going to go against that because I don't think that's the right way to do things. Yeah, yeah, and
0: it's early on. I'd never made those conscious decisions, mm-hmm. you know, but. Subconsciously, those decisions had been made somehow, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because if they hadn't, I would have gone down that road, like mm. for sure. You know, half of my family are alcoholics mm. or drug takers or whatever, lovely people, right? Yeah. Um, but they've got their own traumas mm. you know, and that's their coping mechanism. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, I could have just as easily gone down that road, mm. you know. Mm. But
2: yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to just sort of mention, obviously, uh, we heard you at the Acumen. Um, business Convention and Sharing, um, and quite a lot of people came, um, I spoke to afterwards, and some people were really, um, f- everyone was impacted, obviously, on different levels. But some people actually were really quite, almost slightly, found it so difficult that th- they found it offensive. And, uh, and only from a point of, obviously, we can only come from where we're at. But obviously, it, it's it triggered in them, it sparked off in them some hidden emotion that they just couldn't cope with. Um, and what what I'd like to just come on to is obviously your TED talk got banned, um, which is really interesting in itself. And I, just quickly, if we could just um, tap onto the fact that familial abuse isn't talked about much and people do find it really difficult. But I feel like it's an important time to just talk about that and just could you just explain a bit about that, what you experienced um, and also what you think is happening there on a bigger picture of why why that that TED talk did get banned and why, you know, in in a way you were trying to be kind of hushed up um, again, I suppose, arguably. But can you just share a little bit about that because I feel like it's kind of really important.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because it's two or three months ago, I had a woman message me on Instagram, a screenshot of her TED talk about child abuse and hers was unlisted as well on YouTube. She goes, they've done it to me too. She goes, how did you get yours listed? I was like, I created a campaign have banged on their door like hey, pack it in right? on Un- like list this uh and so i'd done a ted talk get yeah, was about my story and and uh it was interesting because it was in partnership with a university and then then it was like ready to be aired and then um, the the guy the organizer reached out to me and said hey um just let you know that your your ted talk is done right um but they have said that because of the nature of the content that they've unlisted it um, but here is a link so you can at least share it with people who like directly as opposed to it going viral and i was sort of like i said like, huh okay and for a brief moment in time maybe for like a 24-hour period uh, i just sort of forced myself to just be okay with that and i think i woke up the next day i was like you, you gotta be kidding me i said absolutely not and uh and then i reached out to the guys and I said, hey, you need to get these guys to list it because it's bang out of order. And then they said, yeah, no, we agree. Like we you know, but they're just not getting back to us and the communication has stopped. And then I gave it maybe about a week and nothing had happened. I was like, okay, now I want to take over. So then I created a change.org, I think, yeah, change.org petition <clears throat> and um, explained the whole story. And then just absolutely spammed the hell out of social media. And I think it was within, it wasn't one in a week, couple of days. And then get a, an email from the organizer. So, hey Perry, uh, we're not too keen on the fact that you um, took control here, um, <laughs> but we have gotten back from them. They said there's been a big misunderstanding. They didn't. They didn't ban your video. It was just temporarily unlisted. It was in a queue. And but I was like, okay, that, that, let's just say that is true. But then it doesn't explain why the communication prior to that was your video has been done. Here is the the link for it to to be viewed privately. There was no, it's in a queue. Here's a link for now, but Mm. give it x amount of time. There was no, if if that was the case and that communication was extremely poor. Um, but the fact that it happened with the other person a couple of months ago, I'm like, Mm. I don't know about that. Yeah, you know.
1: uh, uh, of course it's a sensitive subject, and 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 we we understand that. But as as we alluded to offline beforehand, like the fact that you you was able to break your silence and share it in in a book share it online share it via social media that like you said how many people have you given the permission to be able to come out and do that that were living in trauma maybe Mm -hmm. that are, are suffering in silence suffering on their own and you've given them the permission to be able to to come out and do that like that that's changing people's lives right that, mm. Like, mm. Why, why would people not want why would why would organizations not want that to, to 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 be a thing there's a there's a platform there there's a mechanism and a tool to be able to share to a wider audience and trying to then silence something like, i can't understand this
0: yeah i know and it's even even if ted tedx that fully wasn't their intention i'm like okay let's just say that is the case use this as an example to better your communication moving forward with other people yeah. even if that you know especially you know because i could be i'm very sort of bulldozed but if i was quite um sensitive around my story you know that could have really impacted Absolutely, me yeah. you know yeah uh so but i think that uh you, you know when it comes to this topic it's like people are they won't just sort of jump to sharing it, but people are more uh, positive to share, for example, being raped at a party as a teenager, right? Or being abused by a coworker, right? But when it comes to your dad raped you, when it comes to your granddad felt you up, when it comes to your auntie did this to you, pimped you out to her friends, that's like, you don't talk about that, you know? Why on earth would you talk about that? Because no one would understand. Because that's not a conversation piece. Okay, oh, so you, for example, you was raped at a party. Okay, well, I can't relate. I can't then come back to you, but, oh, I know how you feel because my dad rates me. Mm. Yeah, That's like yeah, a... Yeah. Phew, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think the word loyalty comes in. Um, you know, and a lot of people really struggle with feeling disloyal by sharing what happened, disloyal by admitting that that was abuse um, and also disloyal um, to living and past members of the family by actually saying mm. well that that happened um and defining it the, the the family unit especially culturally society you know is seen as this kind of cocoon of safety of of rules yeah. um i mean to so some extent you could also say in relation to it's slightly similar but uh, boarding schools for example boarding school uh, abuse sexual abuse uh, in the past has has been and hopefully it st- isn't now but it is just incredible um and thousands of children w- you know suffered in private bo- you mm. know boarding public yeah. schools um never spoke about it and um you know and um, for some reason I keep speaking to people about this so that there are so many people but again it's because it's a boarding school and it's it's just the done thing or it, it's in that in that cocoon that sort of uh, bubble and so it's a disloyal thing to the school, to the parent who put you in that school. It's that loyalty and that kind of um, tie, which obviously you have broken. Um, Sam asked a, a question earlier, which I'd love you to to share on, because um, it's a, such an important uh, part of your story, is that uh, just talk about what the impact you've had and the amount of people that have come to you since you broke your silence about their own. Um, it's been quite um, incredible, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, if we look at today, I've... Uh, it's, um, it's at least 150 million video views now, you know, uh, over 400,000 followers across Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, um, my Facebook group, about 5,000 members growing between 10 to a hundred people a day joining that. All right. And these are all the examples of like, I don't, I don't, I don't share, you know, I'm talking about a topic where you would like, for example, if I saw a real world of a cancer patient, right, overcoming, love that, but I wouldn't follow them primarily for me because I don't relate to that, right? I, I, if I was, if I had gone through my own battles with cancer and then I saw it, i like, wow, I get it, boom, connection. I'm definitely following this person, right? Most of the time. Uh, so for someone to follow me, where I talk about intrafamilial abuse and I talk about sexual abuse, and I'm talking about trauma survivors now broadens the scope a little bit uh it's like most of the people are following me for a reason because they connect mm-hmm. uh, we've got silent followers and we've got loud followers uh and i think that um ever since i sh- sort of broke my silence for the third time the first time was with my ex-girlfriend second time was at a business conference and then the third time was via video just blasting it on social media and uh, then when I got that first bit of feedback within that twenty four hour period of somebody in America saying, "Hey, thank you for sharing that," you know, it's basically helped me a similar experience. I was like, "Wow," I shared my story for me just then, mm-hmm. but now in his world, I shared it for him. Yeah, you know, Amazing. and then, and that was 2018.
1: thousand nineteen. Oh, I'd like to ask, like, what's the what was the key factor like, for for you getting to that point? like you said that first initial point of sharing your story with your, your girlfriend what, what what was the turning point for you like that key factor that made you go I'm ready to share this now can you pinpoint that that, that, that moment where you went I, I, I feel I feel ready to, to open up about this
0: yeah for sure so it makes it I'll give a bit of context leading up to the moment so the the, the sort of backstory it, it kind of my my dad went down a path of becoming an alcoholic. Like he, he's chosen, you know, he'd drink vodka as if it was water, you know, getting in his two, three liters a day, right? And, uh, and he became, I moved out of home when I was 19, so I wasn't living at home with him. But when I would see him, I can tell, you know, and when he was drunk, he, he would just have an ice squint ever so slightly. My stepmom never caught on, but I could always tell. And I used to, growing up, used to fill up the vodka bottles with water so she wouldn't find out, right? And that was our little bonding thing between me and my dad. And you because know, if I didn't do it, I don't love him, type of thing. And uh he then was a diabetic, uh, alcoholic. He then became a diabetic. He then had high blood pressure. And then June the first, two thousand seventeen, paramedics get called to the house because he was having trouble breathing. They said that they need to even out his blood levels. They're going to take him to the hospital. He had a heart attack in the back of the van, and he was forty-eight. And when that happened, June the first, two thousand seventeen. Obviously, I went for a grooming process, but what I think also happened at the same time is that it kind of um, it took a lot of weight off my shoulders, I think, of living in silence, you know, because I think partly that silence was because of him, mm. you know, and because of the type of energy he had. And like, if I'm going to speak out, I need to, you know, always look at my phone for my dad to drop me a text, and it wouldn't have been a nice text, you know. So there's always that anxiety there. So when he passed away, I had no more dad. And uh, and uh I feel like that had a huge part in putting me onto the path of allowing myself to reflect. And then I came across a video by Lewis Howes where he brings out his book, Mask and Masculinity. Ellen DeGeneres asks him, hey, why did you write a book? He says, because I was abused as a child and I grew up wearing masks. Then that was the moment when I was like, okay, all right, I know I've been... I didn't know it was masks. I didn't. I never articulated it in that way before. For me, it was creating a character, right? Because of acting. I mean, I moved to a new location. I created a character, Perry Power 2.0. This is a character people are gonna know. He slept with loads of girls, but I was a virgin, right? Uh, he didn't care about anything. He's gonna rock up to lessons, two hours late. Doesn't care, right? And that was the. And I did that until people believed it. Part of that reality became true. I was like, great. But I was like, that's not. This isn't Perry, though, right? And uh, those were the masks. And then what ended up happening, I was like, okay, how can I break character, and how can I take off the mask, and I wait for my girlfriend to come back home, my ex girlfriend to come home from work, and I said, hey, let's go for a walk, and then that's when I told her about the abuse, and that who she started dating was the character, it wasn't the actual Perry.
2: How many of us have got 2.0 version? Yeah.
1: We're running on. Yeah. We can use it to
0: our advantage, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah. but there's, like anything, there's pros and cons. Like, that character really helped me with a lot of situations, I won't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, with confidence, within the moment, you know? Uh, but there was a lot of negatives to that as
1: well. That's really felt that... Again, I, I've just done some work with some guys at Inside Stories with like, unlocking the definition around the podcast and what it really means. And we're talking about the entrepreneurial journey, but life journeys and people in life and, the, and, and talking about multiple persona disorder. So not personality, but persona disorder. And, but actually, as people, as especially I, I relate to entrepreneurs because I am one and I've I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on here, But actually that we go into these different spaces, different events, social media, and we wear these different personas, we wear, the, as, you, as you mentioned, these different masks that we put on. And actually, one of the lessons and things I'm learning and listening to you talk about right, being true to ourselves and living our true, authentic life is what we, ultimately, we want to try and achieve right, in, in life. And how we can, the things that we can do to try and come away from, living these different personas but just being who we are 100% of the time that's surely the goal for all of us right
0: yeah I, I believe so it's the only way you come back to intuition following your own path where you you know that's why you get people who are completely broke or don't have a house but they're happy right yeah. because they're in alignment with themselves yeah. uh, and you have people who are rich who aren't you know why because they're not in alignment yeah. so I think it's, it's everything yeah <sighs>
2: Yeah, C- no, well, to just, I just was going to hit on, like, the word consciousness, which has come up a bit. Mm-hmm. It seems like you kind of, at a very early age, you developed your conscious awareness to know mm-hmm. when you're being truly you. Um, because I think the idea of us being real and being, I don't think a, a lot of people know who they really are. Mm-hmm. But we, we can tell when the voice that we're listening to and the voice we're acting upon is the real us. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a, it's a like feeling that you can't explain. It, it yeah. is, and it's got a different. I think it's got a, got a different presence, it's got a different um, tone, or a different feeling, or a different um, uh, resonance. I would s- suggest, mm. but that that's the key to all of it. Because obviously, it's all you, and it's all mm. us, and every personality persona we create is mm. all us. But the the real the the one that is true to ourselves and are true to true to our intuition, that has a different voice. And and it sounds like you, you really tapped into that voice really early on, which mm. some of us are you know, still, still searching for. older well. than you, <laughs> yeah. um, and and still like you know allowing well allowing ourselves. I, mm. I'd say we all we all know it exists, but allowing that voice to be the the leading voice um, is is a really quite different way of living life. Mm. Um, you know, and it's really I've heard, you know you and I have spoken many times, and um, but it's it's just really really powerful to hear that. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. Um,
1: we're well, coming up to. I just want to interject now, just with our, our second part of our life in sixty seconds, if we can. And we're going to do um, this is the next part of the thing. So I just want sixty seconds. Tell me about a challenge you faced in your life and what you learned from that experience. I'm gonna time
2: him again. He's, he, he's, under, he's a pro. He's 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 don't,
1: a need pro. don't need it. Come Not on. We needed. don't need it. Yeah, <laughs> <All right. laughs> we love
2: professional the TV <laughs> actor here.
0: So, a challenge that I had in my life was when I was about five or six years in entrepreneurship. I was living in a house with no furniture, sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. And it was me and my dog. And I had just given up a business. That was generating about, I don't know, five, six thousand a month, roughly. And I left that to my old business partner. Because I come to a point where I'd realized after five or six years of going into business to finance a way to act, I hadn't once stepped foot on a stage or stepped in front of a TV, uh, in front of a camera, right? So I was like, what's going on here? So I left the business and then that was the darkest year of my life because even though I I know what I wanted to do, I still felt like I lacked purpose, I lacked drive, I lacked passion and, um, you know suicidal thoughts was through the roof and I ended up putting my dog down that same year as the darkest year of my life but what ended up coming from that was the book and was the charity I had to absolutely have my back against the so I'm going over 60 seconds here You're but good. listen I had to, go, go, go. I had to uh, put my back up against the wall but the absolute definition of a back up against the wall you know I had debt letters through the my, my, my car was clamped outside the front you know and um, and I had to have my back up against the wall so much where I'm like where on earth do I fucking go I've got no money, debt through my years, where on earth do I go? I was halving my dinners with, my, with Amara, my dog, right? Starving, but pride, I didn't really want to ask my family for food because I'm like, well, well you should go and get a job. Because I don't understand. I'm like, I can't get a job, right? I can't. Because did you feel like
1: getting a job would be quitting? Of-
0: in, in a way, like I've never, I did, the longest time I've ever had a job for was, I mean, but this was before, whilst I've been on, in entrepreneurship, um, probably for like a couple of weeks, you know? Because I'm like, why am I, I remember one of them was a recruitment consultant. I'm like, why, why am I getting people from calling up these guys in India to go for this job in Switzerland for cars? I'm like, and this, and I'm spending my whole day doing this when I know for a fact that I can be spending my day trying to build a brand or trying to do a business or or going, or building relationships with agents or with managers or whatever. And I'm like, you know what, I'd rather go and live on the street. I really would rather live on the street if that means that I can free up the time to focus on what my, why I'm on this planet. I just could never, ever do it, right? And it's it's the physical presence. Like, I would, like, literally, like, I would go so far as, I remember this one time I was, uh, I was with my ex-girlfriend, ex-ex-girlfriend, and it was a recruitment job. And I quit it because it was two weeks before Christmas. And, some people can look at this as be very, very selfish and yeah, sure, okay. But I was walking towards it and I was literally visualizing so many ways of me dying that day, right? So I didn't have to go into work, right? And I remember walking towards the building and I just stopped and I just looked at people. I remember seeing two people walking in to the door, right? And I visualized what that day looks like compared to what could I spend today doing that I know that, in, that I'm gonna be doing in 20 years time. And I just turned around, walked back, right my mm-hmm. girlfriend was in bed said like, what are you doing i said like, I've quit and i remember that was a dreadful day <laughs> right <laughs> that was not a fun day but um <laughs> i just it, it's just but what what i learned from that right is that um is that sometimes you just you have to put everything that if you know you're not doing what you want to do in life sometimes you have to put everything down everything mm-hmm. right and you know parents live you don't have kids okay i don't you know I can't speak on that, but put everything down to then realize, hey, what can I actually pick up here? And it's it just trusting that intuition.
1: Yeah. This is amazing, really, because it, look, there's so again, there's lots of things I take out of that, but that from a from a from a business owner's point of view, how many times are we a, a couple of things that one when you're on your knees and you're really struggling, but the belief that actually I know that. I can come back from this. I know I can. Again, back to that resilience word, and you go, I know I can. I've got, I've, I've got to get out of this. But actually, what's a really fundamental thing I take away from that? Actually, looking at what you are doing, and if it's not serving you, not serving your purpose, and why you're here, put that I take for me, taking that away, put that down. If that's not if that's not serving who I am, and not doing what, what I'm, what I believe I'm on this planet to do it down and walk away, because actually, from pride, there's a lot of people from pride. Well, I can't do that. I can't, I can't put that down, because that's feeding that part of my life, and it's a bit scary if I just put everything down. And like you said, I've, like you said, you right at that bit where you, no money, no food, and you're right, right back up against the wall, and having that, just holding on to that thing, that purpose, and that drive. It's, Blows
3: my mind. Ultimately,
2: it affects our physicality. Doesn't yeah. it? Um, and for you to have all those dark thoughts, literally just looking at the door of the office building to mm. have you au- to think about how you could end your life it's just incredibly sad to hear. Mm. That you were just so desperately unhappy. But it does it creates that you know. And, and you, we have this this kind of a common theme with the with the, every author in that book. Is just that, you know they got to a point where they physically felt. Um, they were completely lost, which is kind of a weird anomaly because it's mm. like a feeling of something that being lost, which you associate with the mind. Mm. But it, it is that, isn't it? Which, um, which, you know, is so powerful.
1: I'll be okay be just to tap in a little bit. We talk about obviously challenges and, and and dark time, but you you refer to that part of your life as opposed to. Like you say, people hear your story would, I guess, assume naturally. Even writing out these questions, assume that you would talk about the trauma of your childhood and the trauma of, of then maybe breaking that silence and what that looked like. That would be my assumption. Would that be fair to think like maybe other people would look at your life and hear about your story and go and that. But when you talk actually about a dark, the dark, a really dark period in your life, is not related to to your trauma Mm -hmm. I find that quite really really interesting actually to to listen to I don't know what your thoughts are
2: I guess it's like the knock-on effect sorry no no
1: no Karen
2: um well it's just it's uh it happens quite a lot for people I think when there's there's something that happens that is like a a time stamp Mm -hmm. um and that's the moment that Sparks off the trauma, creates the trauma or the anxiety, whatever. Mm. But the, the repercussions and the, the impact of that and the darkness, the, the depression, whatever it is, can happen way after, um, sometimes decades after. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Robert Gore, it, he was 70 when he realized he'd been depressed all his life yeah. and that his mum yeah. had been giving him heroin to, to keep him happy. He didn't realize that until 70 years of age wow. uh, so so you know it, it's incredible, and obviously that moment and the so um I mean what we'd like to do during this podcast obviously um talk about success mm. in a second, mm. but just to finish off um well, not to finish off but just to sort of segue into that, if there's anyone listening to this, Perry, that you kind of that you know that um, really kind of um relates to not necessarily all of your story or a part of it. Uh, that feels in that sort of moment a difficulty and, and hasn't broken that silence can you just offer something that you can share with them that would would help them to kind of do it themselves and also the next steps they can then take to move forward which you obviously have done which is amazing
0: yeah so if if someone's listening and they're living in silence then the first thing to do is is about the action to take, and then about who you can become after that. So the action to take is not to hear my story and follow what I done, which is Tadamai's girlfriend, because if, if she would have like rejected my story or would have given me like I don't know pause and then just looked in the other direction in her head, she's thinking about what to say because she doesn't want to hurt my feelings. But in my head, I'm like, is she trying to figure out? If she should still be with me because I was abused, you know? Mm. And it's not about what's true, it's about what we perceive to be true, right? So then it's like, okay, now I associate my truth with rejection. Even if she's like, no, no, that's not what I thought. It doesn't matter, I've already decided that's, that's mm. the truth. And then, you know, I can go live in the rest of my life in silence now because now I have an experience which wasn't great. So my thing is, if you're living in silence, break the silence to yourself first in as many different ways as possible. And then you tell someone else. So instead of telling your partner uh, try number 1 break your silence to yourself in 11 different ways then on try number 12 then you tell your partner because the person who you'll be from try number 1 compared to try, try number 12 is going to be night and day you know one you're seeking validation right you don't have that much power over here you're not seeking validation you're in full power right because you're you're telling it from a different place and the all the different ways you can break the silence is is It comes down to how can you express what you went through. Through, It could be writing a journal. It could be writing a poem. It could be choreographing a dance piece. It could be going to a pottery class and then making a cup. But in your mind, right, you're allowing your emotions to flow through that you've had trapped for so long into this cup. Because now when you finish, you now have a tangible. This represents you breaking a sign. Nobody else needs to know. But when you see it, you know that that right there is in part owning your truth. Okay, and then after, once you've broken your silence properly and you're happy, you know what, my story's out there, and whatever way that looks to you, yeah. then it can be, okay, now it's about taking ownership over your story because then that equals taking ownership over your life and then you can start to, you know, be the, the person who you want to be. Brilliant.
2: Brilliant, thank you. Yeah, for, yeah I think it's just really important to offer that. Um, and obviously, yeah. you've gone on to do incredible things um, and you, there's so much, so many... Um, pots you've got on the boil mm. can you just share with us what you've done with your message if you like and, and where you're looking with your career um and, and what what does what's per, what's going on for perry right now
0: mm. so it so it all started with the book breaking the silence which was in uh 2021 it's when I, I wrote that book in 30 days in 2020 wow. sat on it for a year right didn't want to really why because I wrote a book, going back to the house with no furniture, sleeping on the floor, didn't have any money. But I wrote the book. But in my head, I'm like, right, for this to be the best book possible, I need to hire an editor, hire a designer, hire a formatter. And then I had a couple calls with different people. We're talking anywhere between 8,000 to 15,000 to get the book done, like, you know. So we had the finances. And then we had the, okay, now my book's going to be out there. I don't know, like, what does that look like? And then there there was a bit of fear there, right? Then fast forward a year, I'd moved to Guildford and I didn't have a ton of money but I had enough money to pay rent and a little bit more and I was like okay I woke up one day and again I didn't plan it I just woke up and I was like right Perry what are you gonna do with this book dude this book is in your google drive folder it's still there from last year still got the same fears same worries you kind of still can't afford to hire anyone so what are you gonna do about it and I'd I say this a lot I put myself into like a mental interrogation room I sit myself down like a scene right like, like Batman and the Joker right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And then uh, and then uh, and then I questioned myself, right? And uh and like, oh that's true dude. And I'm like okay, cool. So what are we gonna do about it? Well, we're gonna download Grammarly, right? Google Chrome Extension, how can I spell check things? Grammarly, cool, let's download that, let's put the book through that, go on to Canva, so, you know, design a front and back cover. Okay, Amazon KDP, what is that? YouTube. Shoot it's a good friend, all right. And then uh, and then boom, I put the book out within a couple of days. And then uh, it went to number one in the mental health and the sexual abuse categories. So They're pretty big categories wow. on, uh, in the UK and the US. And then from there, and, uh, now, because here's the thing that happens. When you write a book and you put it out there, so much you take on so much control and ownership of your story. And then you're like, right, what else can I do? Yes, I, who, who can I put? what hands can I put this mm-hmm. book into? Mm-hmm. Um, but what else can I do with my story? And I was like, okay, well, now it's time for press and PR. So let me get into all the local newspapers and stuff like that, and then I remember um, uh, family members of my granddad, They caught wind of my story in the, in the press, and then they reached out to me, and I was shitting bricks, right? Because I'm like, they're gonna what are they gonna do? Try and sue me? They're gonna say it's not true? Or, I'd never met them. Well, I met them as a child, but I don't remember them. And uh, but I knew, you know, he's got kids, and and uh, they're not gonna be happy with me talking about their dad. I'm sure. But then they reached out to me and said that he abused them all too. And that, they, uh, that I have their full support. So then from the book, uh, then came the charity in America. We were kids. kids. So we give free mental health care to child survivors of sexual abuse. We basically pay for child therapists and partner up with children when we get referrals. And um, then from there, uh, then I just started building my audience. I think that was the main thing. I was like, I don't know. Because I, I, I do, I'm a big business guy, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, but if I'm going to make money from this, it needs to be from a way where whatever I'm making money from, I would do it for free if I was a billionaire. That's the only way I can do this, yeah, right? I so I carried on just being broke or just whatever. And you know, I formed that house when my dog passed away. Um, I remember I came back in and slept in a dog bed and the most horrible day of my entire life. And then I woke up the next day I was like, right, I can't be in this house anymore because if I be in this house anymore, I actually don't know if I'll be here. Because there's Amara, there was this one time where I was driving back from Tesco's. I went there to go and get bread. And I realized 40 minutes later, I was still sitting in the car with no bread. I was like, right, I need to get back home, driving home, coming up to his petrol station. And I just like visualized driving into the brick wall. And I was like, but Amara's at home, what's going to happen to her? you know she's like my best she's the only girl that's ever been in my life for you know <laughs> for everything and anything right and i'm like what's going to happen to her i'm like oh, best best get back, get get back home to her as soon as i open up the door as dogs are they're jumping all over you i'm like damn and uh, it's a bit like afterlife you know <laughs> and um and and then she yeah and then, uh, then i from that house and then moved to my auntie's house and but stepped on the couch for months right mm-hmm. and um but still i'm like all I'm going to focus on now is just putting out content, reels, sharing my story, helping as many people as possible break their silence, and I'm just going to trust in the universe that my path is going to align. Whatever happens is going to happen, but I'm not going to control it. What I ended up happening, people didn't ask me, hey, can you help me write a book? And I'm thinking, oh, do I charge for that? I'm like, oh, but I feel so shit. Charging, you know, charging, and I would give, like, like feedback and stuff and advice. And I'm like, come on, Perry, like, therapist charge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure, you're not a therapist, but what is the end goal for a therapist to help us survive a heal? That's the same goal as you, mm-hmm. but you just got your own way of doing it. So just charge. and that's, and that's To a certain degree, I still have that now. Don't get me wrong, I still have that. But I have to come over that. And now I have a book writing program. And you know, Bonnie, we launched her book um, last month. And she said that it, writing her book brought on more healing than 10 years worth of counselling. Mm-hmm you know and when she said those specific words i'm like i just need to look at that if i ever have an yep. internal dialogue that that's it
1: yeah i think that's such a brilliant mate like i'm really actually listening to them really resonate with it I, I, i'm a period i guess for me might where i'm never had that financial freedom but as a businessman they're okay, make some money in there, but you, you and I love giving, I'll give so much to the communities and do the stuff I do, and, I, and I'm passionate about that and love that, believing in that process. And you, but the amount of people that have reached out to me recently and gone out, why do you not charge for your time in that sense? And actually, you, what I've come to realise, and I listen to Jay Shetty quite a lot, but mentioned a lot about what you're mentioning. Actually, you can have, for you to have as much of an impact as you're having, You've still got to pay bills, right, and be able to achieve certain things. Doesn't mean that you necessarily want to become a multimillionaire to buy a Lamborghini. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I, I guess my understanding of what you're trying to do, you can only have that much. You can have more of an impact if you're getting paid to do things to be able to achieve more. You can have more of an impact, in, in fact, support more people, more people to break their silence and achieve more within and bring more goodness to the world. Why are you making money to do that? That's not a bad thing to do, right? Yeah,
0: yeah but exactly. You know, I mean mean um like it is it, definitely a huge people as like you said, Jay Shetty, they all talk about, you know, like you have to charge for it, otherwise you're gonna have to go to a corporate career, for example. Yeah. Right? And then you don't have the time to and but me now finding a way where I've earned income from the the from powerful books. I'm like, okay, so I don't have the financial stress. And I've had that for nearly my entire life. And it is fucking. Yeah. It's difficult. It is difficult. (laughs) It is so difficult. And, and it, sometimes it forces you to make decisions on what Mm -hmm. can bring money in, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and now being able to have this where people, it's just, if I was a billionaire, I would literally do this for free. And you don't get me wrong. Like, um, i just went for a meeting with this app team and they're like do you see this program that you got now being a hell of a lot cheaper to a broad range of people i said with time yes i see myself having a scholarship program as well where people can come in for free Mm -hmm. like my last business i wasn't thinking like that you know what i mean because i wasn't fully in line with it anyway so the only thing i did focus on was money from it but now i'm making way more money than i did with the last business um i don't care about the money right Mm -hmm. my editor i'm paying her Boom. And my 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 goal is, I want to I make her get paid very well mm-hmm. so she can do this full time. And, like, do you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. just worried, thinking about her more than I'm like myself. And I just, I just, here's the thing though with money, I've always been like this. I'm like, the money's going to come in the acting mode when I do a movie for 20, 30 million, you know, and yeah. I take a small percentage of that and I'm doing a couple of movies a year. My finances are going to be taken care of then. Yeah. And I'm happy to wait until then. So, it helps with me with making the right decisions now.
2: I, I think it's a big challenge with people mm. that work from the heart space is what, how I would term it. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you do, Sam. Mm. You, like, I see you doing all these incredible things. This man does so much for charity. Mm. Um, but when you come from a heart space, it is because you're doing something that you feel so passionate about, ad- naturally encompassed in that passion. Mm. You know, and ideally, we'd live in a f- world with no money Kind of maybe anyway
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, but it, but we don't um, and actually also I think there's um, a real importance and about value um, and you've got to value yourself and that means keeping a roof over your head and putting food in the fridge um, and so if you don't have that own value about yourself then what does that say and we can we can create our own our own life anyway nobody's judging really we, mm-hmm. we think we're people peop- being judged you know i've been mentoring for 15 years now and i've just st- just really getting my head around the fact that actually yeah i can charge not only can i charge but if i charge certain people then i can mentor other people for free which mm. is what you're yeah, saying yeah. and that for me is the ideal scenario mm. um so it's really important that you value what you do yeah. and also you can what you do so you could you can tailor that like you've done I remember having that conversation with you. Do you remember what this was way back when you said, "Oh, well, I just love doing this." I said, "But Perry, you need to earn some money too." And yeah. what what you br- the thing is what you bring to it br- adds different value because there are loads of people, you know, helping people publish their books. But what you bring to the table adds a new lot of value, um, and that mm. has its own. Monetary value because that's the system that we live in.
0: That's it. Yeah, and, and I, can, I will confidently say that no one out there is doing what we're doing. Yeah, no one. Yeah. You know, we're not. I don't even like to put on a title that I'm a publishing company because when I say I'm a publishing company, then boom, people have expectations because it's what publishing companies yeah. do, right? Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm also. I'm more. I kind of stayed up with a coaching program.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know,
0: with how we are. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'll guide survivors from the beginning steps to figure out what their story is, figure out what their message is, figure out the book structure. And then, boom, then you start Draft One. All whilst having so many coaching calls and workshops to help you on your healing journey. I'm like, there's no one doing, you know, what we're doing. And
1: it's creating a lot of impact. Right, it is. Oh, I think it's incredible. It really is. It's, like I said, it's it's inspiring to hear. Like you said, hearing you talk and was was blown away by your story and and how well you shared it and how powerful that was but actually it's been great getting to speak to you now and from a, from a, actually from a business point of view as well as an entrepreneur and as well as looking at that and and the lessons that so many people will take away from it and a, a big thing for me is the visualization like that. Mm. Powerful power pictures. Is that right? Powerful pictures. Powerful pictures. Yeah. Watch their space. That. This is coming. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to be sitting in the, in the, that movie theater. I'm going to be one of them people sitting in that movie theater. Watching. Oh man. I had this guy on my podcast once. <laughs> and, uh, but um, listen, there's a couple of things I'd love to just touch on, just as we're coming to the end now. Um, there's, there's one question I'd like to ask. Just if you could, if you could speak to your step granddad now today, what would you say to him? No, I'd say, what's your story?
0: Really? Hmm. Mm. I have my own version of what his story is. He grew up in a... His parents died, I think, and then he, him and his brother went to an all-boys Catholic boarding school. Hmm. His two sisters went to an all-girls Catholic um, run by nuns, and they were physically abused. One of them was deaf in one ear because of being hit on the side of the head. And then my step-granddad and his brother... Um, my step-granddad, who was questioned um, by... The kids to see if he because loads of reports came out that the school just shut down one day just closed doors one day no 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 it's nothing right and then boom all these reports came out um which is part part of those reports flooded into the spotlight film right and uh about you know he he always would just say uh i did what i could to protect my brother so my secretary just used to say whenever he was questioned about the abuse at the school and that's all we would ever say and um but there, were, there was reportings of rape of um there was a common thing where all the boys would be sleeping in a room and then just in the middle of the night, a priest would walk in on a bunk on one of the beds. And whoever got tapped would then have to leave the room and go after the priest. Right. And I always remember that. And it was a common thing in the reports from that school. And uh, so, listen, I, I talk a lot about forgiveness. I forgive my second mm-hmm. You know, I don't condone what he done. Absolutely not. Right. But for me, I'm like, can I see it from over here? You know, and people get confused mm-hmm. with agreeing. No, 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 separate that. Yeah. Can I see it from over here? Can I see, okay, but he went down that path. My dad, I could be, I could be here touching up kids. Me, 28, I could, but obviously not. I don't because I didn't go down that path, right? My step-granddad didn't get the help that he needed and he grew up be- being an alcoholic and then inflicting mm-hmm. that onto other people. So if my dad, if my step-granddad was alive now, I'd ask him, what was your story? Because like, I guarantee he's never been asked that before. Right,
1: yeah. well, thank you look we'll get, we're coming to the end we're gonna we're gonna finish with our last 60 seconds life in 60 seconds we'll go with this we, that we can run over so we don't worry but um listen as i mentioned before obviously about i talk i talk about success a lot and people's definition around success we'll talk about people's stories where they've been where they are now where they're going just share with me with all that in mind share with me what your definition of success is
0: I believe success is being able to stay on to stay course on the track towards your vision and not derailing and that's it whatever that looks like because that could be money that comes along with that you know that could be emotional success financial success it, it could be whatever whatever it is but I think very often people get derailed and they go down this path down here you know And um, they never try to course correct. But if you can just stay on the path, so for example, if it's acting, if it's singing, if it's business, stay on that path and just don't derail, you know, and just have, because I feel like if you don't derail, that shows a lot of things. It shows that you have belief. You know, it shows that you are prepared for all of the hits that life is gonna throw your way, but you believe that you can push through and as Rocky says, it's not about how hard you hit, but how hard you can get it hit is. and keep moving forward. I love that. oh, that's made the podcast. Like, that's right. it. That's <laughs> it. That. And uh and it's about how hard you can you know, it's about can you move keep moving forward, keep moving forward, keep moving forward, be unavailable. My business partner said this once, he goes, I'm unavailable for any other option. And ever since he said that, I've always taken that. I'm like, I'm unavailable for any other option. Like, don't come knocking on my door. Someone answer, you know? Um, and for me, if you can do that, you know, question here, that is a fulfilled life. How could it not be? Because no longer, like, with acting, I don't measure that by money. Mm. If you're a singer, you don't measure that by money. It's yeah. a byproduct, right? And,
1: yeah. Wait, what what a brilliant way to, to wrap up. the like our young,
2: Your youngest guest, Sam, is giving you the best explanation, I think. Uh, <laughs>
1: youngest guest? I think so. 100%. Wow. It is, oh, <laughs> series 5, it's taken us to Series youngest 5, we found it? the best definition <laughs> of success. And that is it. This is a wrap, as they say. <laughs> no offence to all the other guests. No, no, no. It, no including no, myself. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it was, um, mate, listen, uh, honestly... I was blown away on that day and even more blown away today with just brilliant conversation and your openness, honesty, your insight, your self-awareness is incredible and um, just so inspiring. It really is. um, Can I just
2: ask one last quick question? Can we come to your premiere in Hollywood? Of course you can. Thank you. Me and you on the red carpet. (laughs) I'm in. I'm going to wear a tux too, by the way.
1: That's it.
0: The most nearest thing is that we're working on documentary at the moment. Right. So we've got me and two producers working on this documentary. Uh, we're currently in a stage of... It's called Breaking the Silence, and it's about... I'll try and make it as quick as possible. About me and three... Uh, me and two other survivors. We go through my story, and then it jumps to uh, survivor number two, and it's going to be in India. So we're going to be out in India in an Indian family about intrafamilial abuse. So we're touching that demographic. Yeah. And then we go over to America, into an American family, and we show the intrafamilial abuse there. And then it circles back to me with... The fact that it was my story, my voice that brought these guys together and what can happen when you actually take ownership over your story. Uh, and it's just all about instrumental abuse, about empowerment. And um, Brilliant. many things that come out about abuse and stuff, like uh, it's very much, you know, my dad, the paedophile, my granddad, this, you know, very dark mm-hmm. doom and gloom. And that's never been my world. I'm like, doom and gloom is in it, but it's going to be wrapped up in empowerment and positivity and inspiration because that's the life that you need to live. And uh, so, yeah, we're currently in that process now. We're trying to raise funds for it. Um, and uh, that's going to be the most nearest premiere, which wow.
2: so you guys are going to have to go. You've got money, yeah. right? Yeah, and, plenty, of uh, money. Plenty, plenty of
0: money. Plenty of money. We've got to raise four hundred and fourteen thousand mm-hmm. pounds, which is a lot of money in one angle. But in the in the film world, it's not a lot of money at all, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, but with this type of project, we're not necessarily seeing it as an in, as a, a typical investment because yeah. we're like we don't know if this is going to make its money back because mm-hmm. of the nature of it. But it's more so impact investment, where it's like I will give you X amount. If I make my money back plus more, fantastic. But if I don't, it's for a good cause.
1: That's yeah. kind of where we're at. Really good cause. Amazing. Thank
3: you so Can't much. wait to be at that premiere.
1: <laughs> yeah, Listen, um, <laughs> mate. Wish you every success and um, in the future. And I, I have no doubt, listening to you, that we will. And all the people that are listening will be sitting in a in a theatre watching from one of your productions. I'm sure. So. Um, mate thanks so much for your time and it's been amazing joe thank you for co-hosting with me and that as they say is a wrap thank you thank you very much wow